Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Amen. Do you believe that, church? So good to see you this morning. I want to begin with a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are near to the brokenhearted, God, that um, our brothers and sisters in Myanmar who are facing adversity today, that even though they might feel alone, even though they might be uh, in a prison cell or, or facing uh, torture and persecution, God, that they are not alone because you are there with them. And God, we, we pray uh, that you, by way of your Holy Spirit, would just, just make them especially aware of your presence, that you would give them a courage and a boldness and a comfort. That, that, it, that has to come from you, God, that, that would open the door for a witness to the gospel. God, that you would loosen their lips when they have an opportunity to proclaim uh, your love and your loving kindness and your care and your saving power in their life. And God, we, we pray for our missionaries on the ground there and in a lot of other places in the world, like, like Thailand, where it's, uh, it's not easy to be a follower of Christ. So God, uh, help us as we hear your word this morning. God, help us to receive it and then to, uh, by your Spirit's power, apply it wherever it needs to be applied in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Philemon, the book of Philemon we're walking through, and I hope you're enjoying it half as much as I am. I am loving uh, my time in this series and studying God's Word. We find ourselves in verse 17 today. If you can't find Philemon, that's because it's a very short book. It's in the New Testament after all the T's. You get to Hebrews, you've gone too far, just turn back until you find that one page called Philemon. As we've been walking through this letter from Paul to Philemon, we've been considering the subject of gospel-centered relationships. The world says relationships are expendable, right? We can just pick up our ball and go home whenever things don't go our way. But for those who know and belong to Jesus we know that we should see relationships differently. When we've been forgiven much in Jesus, that then changes how we relate to others, in particular others who also know Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that we disregard truth, right? It doesn't mean that we throw away truth. It, it doesn't mean if someone says, I, I'm a Christian, but now I don't really care about Jesus, or I don't really want to listen to the gospel. It doesn't mean... Uh, that those things don't matter. And other places in the New Testament tell us how to deal with that, right? How to deal with those who once said they're Christians and now they're not acting like Christians. But that's not the scenario in Philemon. Uh, in the book of Philemon, Philemon is a slave master and his slave Onesimus has fled and somehow ended up with the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul has led him to saving faith in Jesus. And now Paul sends his runaway slave back to Onesimus with a request for Onesimus' benefit. So the slave has left, been saved, come back, and now Paul has a request. He told us all the way back in verse 10, I've got a request for Onesimus. But we still haven't actually heard the request. 
So we know it's important. We know he's going to have to do it for love's sake. We know he's, he wants him to want what God wants. But what is it that you want, Paul? It's a great question. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 17. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. Now I want to interjection. Just hang on. I normally don't do this. Um, Paul, oftentimes in his letters, will at the very end of his letters signify that he's the one who is writing the letter by saying, I'm writing with my own hand. In other words, he's got somebody else that he's been dictating the letter to, a secretary, the the fancy Bible scholar term is an amanuensis. You take that home and use it, and somebody's going to be very impressed with you. Uh, so Paul often used an amanuensis, or a secretary, to dictate his letters, and then at the end, he would write a, a verse or two to authenticate that he was the one who had actually sent the letter. In this case, we're not quite yet to the letter's closing, so this might mean that letter has written the entire that Paul has written the entire letter in his own hand, and apparently he had big handwriting. Or it may mean that he's coming in to say, look, when I tell you that I'll pay his debt, I mean it. I'm going to write that portion in my own hand. Either way, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. In last week's sermon... We saw that Philemon and Onesimus have a new relationship through Christ, a a relationship that makes them brothers in the Lord Jesus, and they're also brothers, as we'll see, because Paul has led them both to saving faith in Jesus. So they are both Paul's children, and therefore they are brothers in Paul and in Christ. Based on this relationship, Paul gives three commands in these four verses. Do you see them? Accept Onesimus, verse 17. Charge it, whatever Onesimus owes you, charge it to my account, verse 18, and refresh my heart, verse 20. Now, it's interesting, last week, Paul said, I don't want to have to command you. Just because I'm an apostle, I don't want to have to just command you, I want you to want what God wants, and then in verses 17, 18, and 20, he gives three commands. So which is it, Paul? Do you not want to command, or do you want to command? And What he's saying is, I want you to understand that these aren't my demands, but these are the demands of love. Did you know that agape love, the selfless love of God, comes with some demands on our life? Sometimes we talk about love like love is only happening when we are feeling it. Today's Valentine's Day, guys, in case you didn't know. Um, You might have to find an excuse to to slide out early, even right now. Go take care of business, because today is Valentine's Day. But sometimes we define love like it's this sappy feeling all the time, man, I I am in love and it's wonderful. But you know, sometimes the feelings aren't there and we're still called to love. And I'm sure when Onesimus shows up who ran away from Philemon and defrauded Philemon, that the first thing that he was thinking wasn't, man, I am feeling great love for you. And yet we get these demands so we don't, we don't define love by what we feel in any given moment. If we define love by our feelings first, then guess what happens? Marriages fail. Bitterness metastasizes. Churches split. And pride reigns. 
We are called to love even when we're not feeling it. Now don't misunderstand. Paul wants Philemon to feel it. He wants Philemon to want what God wants, but more importantly, he wants him to will what God wills. And sometimes we want to align our will with God, what God wants, even when our feelings haven't caught up with where we are yet. In these verses, Paul beautifully draws upon the foundation that he laid back in verses 4 through 7. He, he repeats some key terms. In verse 17, we see the word partner. Do you see that word in verse 17? It's the same word translated fellowship, Back in verse 6. In verse 6, he prays, I hope your fellowship based on faith is going to grow, that it's going to deepen. And here it is, Paul says, I'm your partner, I think, depending on what you do with Onesimus. In verse 20, we see the return of the words brother and refresh and heart. All three words are used back in verse 7. What, what Paul is doing is he's pulling together, Doug Moo tells us, the threads of his argument. In verse 6, Paul prayed that that fellowship based on faith would allow Philemon to see all the good things that God was working into him, to see how, how big and expansive is the love of God, how welcoming is the love of God towards those even who had harmed us. And now the test has come for Philemon. Will his love and fellowship prove genuine? Or is he only going to live out the gospel when it is painless and convenient? We experience this test all over the place, right? We experience it in our church relationships. We experience it in our marriages. We experience it in the workplace. When the going gets tough, do we run away or do we love? What we have here is the test of fellowship. And to pass the test of fellowship, there's three things we see in these four verses. First, in verse 17, we must understand the nature of Christian fellowship. In verse 17, Paul commands Philemon, if he truly thinks that Paul is his partner in the gospel, then he must accept Onesimus just like Onesimus would, just like Onesimus is Paul. So Onesimus is there holding this letter from Paul, and Paul says, you look at Onesimus just like it was me standing before you. Before Paul asked Philemon to receive Onesimus as a gospel partner, he wants Philemon to know that how he receives Onesimus will have an impact on their relationship as well. If Philemon refuses to accept him, he'll be hurting not just Onesimus, but also Paul. In the first century, they did you know in the first century they didn't have churches on every street corner? It was the church at Athens. It was the church at Jerusalem. It was the church at Colossae. Which means, I, I want you to step into this text for a moment, okay? Here's what that means. In any given local church, you couldn't get mad, gossip, invent problems, and then be welcomed as a new member of a church five minutes down the road. Are you all here? Is this on? Have you ever seen that? I mean, you, Furthermore, you couldn't do that all while keeping up with your old friends on Facebook as though nothing was wrong and nothing had happened. You say, well, we can do that now, Pastor. We can. We have that convenience, but convenience doesn't make it right. Relationships in Christ are deeply intertwined, and they are reciprocal. How we respond to repentant brothers. Now, that's important. Onesimus is clearly repentant because he's come back. How we respond to repentant brothers or sisters who have hurt us 
is how we respond to Jesus Himself. The nature of Christian fellowship is such that our relationships with one another cannot be separated and they have a direct bearing on our relationship with Christ Himself. This is because we all have a same share, we all have a share rather, in the same Savior. It means our shared lives in Jesus lead us to have a common concern for one another. We see this throughout Paul's writings. Weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. Grieve with those who grieve. Rejoice with those who rejoice. He says in 2 Corinthians 1.7 that he is pleased to share in one another's sufferings and in their comforts. In Ephesians 4, Paul says that the fellowship, the union of believers that Jesus purchased with His blood means that we bear with one another and show tolerance for one another in love because there's one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all. And Paul is now taking that abstract theological reality and he is applying it in the real life nitty gritty of relationships. So Paul says to Philemon, do we have fellowship in Jesus who paid for our sins? And if we do, then accept your runaway slave who sinned against you just like you would welcome me. The word accept here is only used twice in the New Testament. Here and in Romans 15 verse 7. When addressing factions in the church, Paul uses this same word and he gives this command. Accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. How did Christ accept us? Did Jesus ask us to prove ourselves to Him before He accepted us? We, we do that though, right? The new guy comes in, the new lady comes in, the, the person who doesn't look like us or act like us, we're like, well, we're going to hold them at arm's length for a long time until they prove it. It's not what Paul says. Paul says if, if they're a believer, if they've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, then receive Him like you would receive the Apostle Paul. Stop asking everybody around you to earn your acceptance and look to Jesus who accepted you with no conditions and accept them as well. Receive them like a brother. Don't make them wait 5, 10, 15 years before you embrace them like Jesus embraced you. Go on and do it. Well, I might get hurt. Yes, you might. Jesus was nailed to a cross to receive you. So Paul commands Philemon to actualize the fellowship that comes from their common faith in Jesus. Receive Him. Not just take Him back into your house, but welcome Him into the church, the household of God. Don't miss what Paul is doing when he commands Philemon to welcome his runaway slave like he's Paul. Do you remember back in verse 13 what happened? Onesimus runs away and he gets to Paul. And Paul says back to Philemon, Look, I am happy to keep Onesimus as your replacement. I know you would like to be here helping me if you could, but you can't. So Onesimus is a perfect replacement for you. And now, Paul tells Philemon to see Onesimus as a perfect replacement for himself. Do you see what's going on here? Onesimus can be a replacement for Philemon. Onesimus can be a replacement for Paul, which means, here's what Paul has done in a few verses. Master and slave are equally in need of Jesus. Apostle and slave are equally in need of Jesus. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. As Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. 
Now, we've got to be careful. Some people rip this verse, Galatians 3.28, and verses like it out of context in order to deny that God has order in His design of people and order in His church. The, the oneness of men and women in Jesus, for example, does not override God's good design in creating differences between men and women. Did you know being a man or a woman is under attack in our society today? Do you know why? Because built into our genetics is an absolute truth that you are either male or female. And people don't like absolute truth. They want to define their own truth. They want to make husbands wives and wives husbands. They want to make men women and women men. They want to mess it all up and deny the very truth that is encoded in their DNA because they want a freedom that isn't actually freedom at all. It is prison. Because they are denying the very law that God has encoded in our even, even in our DNA because they don't want to be accountable to a God. And even their genetics says to them, God designed this to work in a certain way. So hear me and hear me well. Paul is not in Philemon or anyone else saying that employers shouldn't submit employees should not submit to their employers. He's not saying that women can be men and men can be women. He's not denying that there's an order in the church and in the home. And there are Christians today who rip this verse out of context and say that that's what Paul is saying. But I, I'm sorry, it, one, it's just not. And two, the church for 2,000 years has said that it's not. And only in our modern times have we come up with this new interpretation of Galatians 3.28. Why? Because we're not listening to the Word of God, we're listening to our culture. Paul is not saying that Onesimus is now suddenly an apostle. He's saying that he and Onesimus and Philemon both share in the same saving work of Jesus regardless of the different roles that God has given to them. Brothers and sisters in Christ, hear this and hear this well. Brothers and sisters in Christ may have different roles, but they have equal value. Brothers and sisters in Christ, therefore, are not disposable. When Paul was persecuting the church, Jesus says that Paul was persecuting him. Do you remember that on the road to Damascus? He calls out, Jesus calls out, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? And do you remember what he says? Why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting the church, why are you persecuting me? Which means that what Christians do in our relationships to one another are what we are doing to Jesus himself. As such, Philemon should extend the same level of care and concern and compassion and hospitality to Onesimus as he would to Paul. He shouldn't say, oh, this is Paul. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to get a really special room for Paul. But, oh, it's just Onesimus. We're just, you know, he's been here before. Just find the Coke in the fridge. Do what you want to do. Same treatment. Whether it's Paul or Onesimus. And now if you're Philemon... Can, can you feel the question welling up in your heart at the end of verse 17? Has any, anybody in this room ever been hurt by somebody? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but probably some of us, right? Maybe all of us have experienced hurt, betrayal. So you know that you, you, the question between verse 17 and verse 18, can you ask it for yourself? It's this, right? But Paul, don't you know what he did to me? I mean, I know what the Bible says, but I've really been hurt. 
Anybody ever experienced that in your, your marriage, church life? Paul anticipates the question. And here's what he says in verses 18 and 19. We must understand that in Christ what we are owed is nothing compared to what we owe. Or to say it differently, what God calls us to forgive is nothing compared to what he's already forgiven us. Paul understands Philemon may be tempted to hang on to the hurt and see Onesimus through the lenses of his past. So Paul says, my paraphrase, go ahead and give Onesimus his bill to me. Whatever he owes you, I'll take care of it. Now, we don't know if the bill that Paul is referring to is the act of fleeing, if it's the time and labor lost when he fled, or if he stole something when he ran away to finance his journey, or maybe it is all of those things, but Paul is saying, whatever is in your mind and in your heart that your slave still owes to you that you can't get over, you just go ahead and put it on my account. This means to place under obligation. For the accountants in the room and joining us by way of live stream this morning, it means to encumber something. Just go ahead and obligate me for what you want to obligate Onesimus for. Paul is happy to suffer so that the church can thrive and experience oneness in Jesus. When I, when I hear people say, you know, I'm interested in maybe being a pastor. I'm thinking about being called to ministry. Uh, one of the primary things that I look for is not their evangelistic fervor. That's important. It's not their great teaching or their passion for theology. All those things are great, are, are important. It's not their, their amazing talent at relationships. That's, that's helpful as well. One of the primary things I look for in somebody who says, I, I think God might be calling me to mission or to ministry, vocational work in the church. One of the things I look for is a heart like Paul's. That says, I am happy to suffer so the church can thrive. I will take the low place so that Jesus can be magnified. In Colossians 1.24, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Christ's afflictions are good enough to save us all, but what is lacking is people need to see that people actually live that way, that they actually live like Jesus, that they actually take the low place, that they're willing to forgive and to repent because they've been forgiven so much more in Christ. So here's a question. Are we pleased to suffer for the sake of others so that the world can see the power of Christ's sufferings on our behalf? Or are we just going to hang on to the hurt and the skepticism? We, we live in a society that embraces a victim mentality over the slightest of wrongs. Have you all seen that in our world? A society that justifies, it justifies unforgiveness by playing the comparison blame game. I want to take you into a hypothetical marriage for a moment. We live in a culture where husbands and wives don't forgive and move forward in selfless love and repentance and forgiveness. Get this, because they would lose, if they gave forgiveness, if they repented of that wrong, then they would lose a major source of self-justification for their own failings in their own marriage. Man, if I really forgave my husband, if I really gave him a new start, 
then I wouldn't be able to hang that over his head and justify all the wrong things that I'm doing towards him that, quite frankly, I like hanging on to. Our society is addicted to self-pity as a means of justifying ourselves and not doing the right thing in our relationships. Trevin Wax wrote this week, as I was writing this section of my sermon, I stumbled upon an article that he wrote this week that he called self-pity the seductive sin we never talk about. It's pride masked as weakness. Self-pity is a prideful response to our suffering that says, get this, I'm right because I've been wronged. That's exactly where Philemon was. But the gospel, Paul shows us, gives us a radically different way. There's a parable in Matthew 18, 23 through 35. It's a parable where Jesus is explaining the kingdom. He tells a story of a king who was owed 10,000 talents by his slave, but the slave could not repay him when the king comes back. And so the slave lays down at the king's feet and he says, just give me some more time and I'll figure out a way to pay it back. And the king says, you know what? Your debt is forgiven. That slave gets up and he finds another gentleman who owes him just 100 denarii, pennies on the dollar that he owed. And he sees this man and he says, you pay up right now. And he, he falls, this man falls at his feet and he says, I don't have the money, but I will find a way to pay you back. And he says, I'm not giving you any time to do that. And he throws him in prison. And the king, who had forgiven his much greater debt, finds out. And he is furious. And he asks this question. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? Church, those who are in our debt, if we know Jesus, we owe them mercy. If we belong to the King of Kings who gave his life to take away our sin, that we in turn must forgive those who return to us seeking forgiveness as well. In our marriages, we don't hang on to the hurt to manipulate and keep the upper hand. We must not keep replaying the wrongs of others to justify our wrong response. We don't look inward at our own hurt. We look upward to Christ who died to forgive us so that we can move outward and receive others into fellowship in the family of God because the blood of Christ conquers all. This is how Paul leads Philemon. He wants to cut off any temptation in his life toward prideful self-pity that would prevent him from having a healing of his relationship with Onesimus. And if there's a debt too great... For Philemon to absorb, then Paul says, look, I'll pay it. Now, now here's a question. How in the world was Paul going to pay the debt of Onesimus? He's in prison. Now, maybe he had some personal account. We know he was a tent maker. Maybe he made some amazing tents and just had this nice 401k out there. He's going to cash out, take the tax penalty. Maybe. Maybe he was going to Asked some other believers to pay off Philemon's debt. Philemon, who was wealthy enough to have a church in his own home, which would have been awkward for Philemon, right? Hey, guys, can you help Philemon out? He's got a debt from his slave that he just can't get over, so if y'all could help chip in and help him out. Or maybe, maybe just maybe, Paul knows that Philemon knows that he's a prisoner and he has no money, and if that's the case, he's being a little bit ironic 
And he's saying, compared to what you owe me, because of what Christ has done through my ministry to you, what Onesimus owes you is like nothing. And then Paul drops this nugget in verse 19. Not to mention that you owe me even your own self as well. Not to mention Philemon. While we're talking about who owes who what, you owe me your life. Paul mentions what he would rather not mention to get Philemon's attention. Paul doesn't really want to bring up what Philemon owes him, but he does because he wants Philemon to approach his hurt from the right perspective. Philemon needs to get out of his own head. Does anybody this morning need to get out of your own head? And get where? To focusing on all that they've been given in Jesus. You don't know what my husband did to me. You don't know what my wife did to me. You don't know what my dad did to me. You don't know what my mom did to me. You don't know what my brother or my sister or my cousin or that person in women's ministry or men's ministry drive me crazy. You just don't know. I don't. But where's your head? Get your head focused on the cross of Christ for reconciliation to happen in our hearts, in our relationships. We've got to get our minds focused on all that we've been given through Jesus. When that really happens, we'll stop harboring the hurt and the bitterness and let God heal. What does Philemon owe Paul? His very life. What this means is that Paul likely led Philemon to Christ, or at least sent the person to Colossae who led him to Christ, which means that whatever earthly debt Philemon is owed is nothing compared to the eternal debt of gratitude that he owes to Paul. Do you see what Paul, Paul is a master. In two verses, Paul has gone from talking about what Philemon is owed to making Philemon a debtor. Philemon now owes his life. Philemon's thinking about, man, I'm owed that money from my runaway slave. And one verse later, Philemon's like, there's no way I could pay that back. He, He owes, Philemon owes not just Jesus, but also Paul, his very self, which is interesting, right? Do you know we like to separate our relationship with Jesus from our relationship with other people? That's not biblical. Paul says you can't separate your relationship with Jesus from what you owe to me. That that comment or that remark or that oversight compared to what Jesus has done for you and through his church is like nothing. So don't come into the church and evaluate and try to be critical and look for the one thing that's going to justify you going to find some other place. Paul says don't do that. Your gratitude for all that Jesus has given to you through his church should lead you to be a debt absorber, not a, uh, a wrong counter. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Gratitude to Paul for his spiritual wealth should more than cancel out any debt that Philemon believes he is owed. Paul is showing us that when we are grateful for what we have received from Jesus through the ministry of others, that we will be generous in our relationships with others who have hurt us. N.T. Wright says it this way, God calls us to a settled determination to share fully in mutual fellowship, however awkward or angular or muddled or misguided or simply different others may appear to be. Paul has helped Philemon to see the foolishness of keeping a record of wrongs and 
wrongs between brothers and sisters in Christ. So, so what must Philemon do? We get it in verse 20. Paul's basically going to restate everything he's just said in a different way. He, he says in verse 20, yes or indeed. That's how the verse starts. This is what's called a, a particle of affirmation for those who are keeping score in your, your English grammar. A particle of affirmation. Yes, indeed. Have you, ever, have you ever just done something that you're excited about and then you finish and you're like, yes! For me, it's when I'm mowing the lawn. I think I've told you all this before, but I love the, to make patterns in my grass. I, I love when every blade obeys my lawnmower perfectly. I like to get a nice sharp blade. I like a nice clean cut. I like to get angles and just make it look amazing. And when I finish, sometimes every row I'll be like, yes! just comes out. I'm like, if somebody saw me doing this right now, they think, that guy is crazy. And you'd be right. That's what Paul is doing here. He's looking back on what he's said, going all the way back to verse 1, but really starting in about verse 10 through verse 19. And he's looking at all of the case that he's been building, that you need to, you need to do this, not just because I command you, but for love's sake. You need to do this because you need to what what God wants. You need to do this because we are one through the blood of Christ. You need to do this because if you, if you live your life thinking about what you're owed, rather than thinking about how much you owe the living Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for you, then you're not really living the Christian life at all. Paul looks back at all of that and he goes, yes! He's like, he's like that's good stuff. And go back and read that again, because I'm excited about that. That's what Paul is saying. It's like, a, it's like a prosecuting attorney giving their closing remarks. And they got a microphone, and they're like, mic drop. What you going to do about that? If you're going to live your life, Philemon, looking at who owes who what, then let's do it. Let's go on and do that, Philemon, and pay up. Give me your life. And the way you're going to give me your life is by welcoming Onesimus just like you would welcome me. If you have a hurt or a debt or a harm that you can't release to the Lord, then give it to me. And in giving it to me, see how much more you've been forgiven in Christ. Philemon, my brother who refreshes the hearts of God's people, back in verse 7. Please now refresh my heart by giving a full Christian welcome to your runaway slave who is now your brother. And do you remember what Paul called him back in verse 12? My very heart. Refresh my heart by receiving Onesimus, my very heart. And when you do, you will benefit me in the Lord and you will refresh my heart in Christ. Did you know that a good evidence that you belong to Jesus is that your heart is unsettled when there's friction between believers? When there's friction in your marriage, when there's friction in your relationships, that's a good evidence that you love and know Jesus. And another evidence that you love and know Jesus is that your heart is refreshed when there's reconciliation between believers that flows from what Jesus has done to rescue all kinds of sinners. When Jesus saves us, we are placed in Christ. And our brothers and sisters in the faith are also placed in Christ, which means we are vitally connected to one another. When our hurts are healed by looking to Jesus, hearts are therefore refreshed in Jesus. In verse 20, there's yet another pun. Paul likes puns in, in the book of Philemon. And here's how to understand the pun. The word benefit in verse 20 
sounds almost exactly like the name Onesimus. Y'all tracking with me? Hang in, we're almost there. The, the word benefit sounds in the Greek language almost exactly like the word Onesimus. So literally, Paul is saying, let me benefit from you. But what it would have sounded like when Philemon read the letter was this, you, Philemon, will be Onesimus to me. Onesimus had been Paul's very heart. If Philemon will receive Onesimus and forgive his debt, then Philemon will be Onesimus to Paul. How how beautiful are gospel-driven relationships? If you've been listening the last two weeks, back in verse 13, we saw that Onesimus had been Philemon to Paul. Serving Paul in Philemon's place. In verse 17, we saw that Philemon is urged to see Onesimus like he's Paul. Welcome Onesimus like he's me, Paul says. In verse 18, Paul tells Philemon to see Paul like he's Onesimus. Onesimus owes you a debt. I don't want you to see Onesimus like he owes you something. See me that way. And now, in verse 20, Philemon lets Onesimus return. If Philemon lets Onesimus return and their relationship is mended, if he looks past the hurt and the harm and is restored, Philemon will be to Paul like Onesimus has been to him. Do you see that? Everybody's like everybody else in the gospel. If you'll forgive, we'll be mended and there will be a wholeness that can only be explained by the power of God in the spiritual realm, in and under the Lord Jesus Christ. As those who recognize everything we do is to be done in Christ and under His authority for the glory of our King, Paul will prosper. His heart will be refreshed. He will have rest in his heart if there is healing between Onesimus and Philemon. Did you know as a pastor that my heart is refreshed when the people of God get along? There is nothing more refreshing to a pastor's heart than to see ministry teams, AV team, women's ministry, men's ministry, deacons, to get along in the Lord. To be quick to repent and quick to forgive. There's nothing more refreshing than that. So let me ask you this morning. Is there anyone in your life that you need to, like Onesimus, you need to go back You need to return. You need to run to someone and repent so that hearts may be refreshed. Or maybe like Philemon, there's someone that you're just hanging on to that anger and that hurt. They don't even know they hurt you. They have no clue, but every time you see them, I'm hanging on and I'm justifying my anger because of that thing they did. They don't even know. And you like Philemon, you need to go to them and you need to say, you know what? You may not even know what you did to me, but it doesn't matter. Because what I did to Jesus was so much more, and I forgive you, and I love you, and let's run this race together for the glory of God. Or maybe you're like a Paul in somebody's life, and you know this person over here, and this person over here, and they've got something between them, and they both respect you. And and they just can't work it out. And finally, you say at the end of it, you know what? Whatever hurt there is between you, if you got to, you just lay it on me. If you've got to lay that hurt on me for you two to get together in the Lord, go ahead and do it. Paul has a right to request a dividend on his investment in Philemon and Onesimus, and Jesus has the right to claim a dividend 
on His investment in us. So may we be a people who are quick to repent, quick to forgive, quick to walk the second mile for others for the sake of Christ, for the good of His church, and the advance of the gospel to countless more who need to see that slaves to sin can become children of God, united in a family and in a mission through the blood of Jesus that is bigger and greater and more important than any one of us. When the King comes back, may He find that we've had mercy on others just as he's had mercy on us. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we owe our lives to Jesus. And the reality is there's, there's no offering that we could bring that's great enough there's no sacrifice we could make that's, that's costly enough. God, we, we could never pay it back, what we owe. But you have given us a way to demonstrate our gratitude for all that we've received in Christ. And one of the primary ways we do that, God, is being, being a people who repent of the wrongs that we've done and a people who forgive others when they've wronged us. Because we see, God, how much more we've received through Jesus. We see the greatness of our God overcoming our sin and giving us a whole new way of seeing and a whole new life to live. And so, God, today, if there's anyone in this room that's been harboring a hurt, that they just need to release, if there's anyone in this room that, that's, that's committed a wrong, they know that they need to repent of so that there can be healing, God, in a room this size, and, and certainly including those watching online, there's got to be a lot of hurt out there that, that you can overcome if we'll just do our part, like Philemon and Onesimus and Paul. So God, I pray by way of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to know what you're calling us to this morning and you would give us the power and the liberty to do it. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.